Hello. Hello, 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 hello. It's stuck on Heather, even though I'm doing the intro. <laughs> I don't know why, because you're on my screen. It's okay. You're recording my screen and you are on my I'm screen. I'm on your screen? Okay, perfect. Okay, so you're on the, you're, she's, the, she's the head of this. Okay, hi, everybody. Um, my name is Maya. As you know me, I'm a comedian, and I have just started um, to do these little episodes called My Favorite People, because as all that's going on and we're stuck in our houses or not stuck in our houses or sneaking out of our houses, um, I, there was nothing better than getting together with people that you really, really love and um, that you respect their opinion on all the craziness that's going on. I've, I've tried to stay silent, but it's seeming to not work for me. Uh, I, I've, I've been dealing with people constantly coming at me about what, what did I see at the rallies? Were, were there riots? Was there looting? You know, and some people, who was looting? Was it white folks looting? Was it black folks looting? Every time I turn on the news, it's something else. And also, as you know, me being in the middle of being mixed race, I'm constantly being asked by uh, white people. I'm, I'm viewed as like a priest for white guilt, where people can come to me and ask me questions. <laughs> and um, and it's just been a, it's just been a very awkward uh, it's an awkward place to be. I was actually online the other day, and a group of mixed race kids uh, were were shouting on their Facebook page that you can't go out and say that you're black. Which is growing up um, in between both groups, I found that highly offensive to be divided at this time. Um, and realize why everybody hates us. But that's not me, um, that's just them. I'm part of the old mix group that knows exactly where I stand. But anyway, um, just stop rambling. I'm gonna introduce my guests, uh, well, my, my counterparts on this show. And we do have a special guest, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful treat tonight. So first, I'm going to uh, introduce you to Heather, who has been my uh, business partner and producer on almost every project. Uh, switch over to Heather, say hello, Heather. They, yes. Hi. Go on. We're gonna figure this out. I think you should put it back on gallery view for you, so that it's not my big head behind you. Thank you. We're gonna edit this. And we're Heather's. And you know, it's it's okay, perfect. So, there we go. Okay. Um, I'm also uh, I'm I'm also very excited to have a wonderful comedian who is uh, out of LA, but by way of Canada, is Mike George over here. Say hello, Mike. Hello. 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 And. Oh. Um, one of my, you have something you want to add? No, no, I thought you paused like you wanted me to continue. I but I had nothing continue. to say. Like, I was like, that's, that's true. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the other corner is one of my oldest, uh, dearest friends, uh, Miss Savia Greer, who is, uh, I, I consider not only a, a comedian, but really he's made his life more of a comedy therapist. He's kept us all sane through the business and through all we've going through. So say hello, Miss Savia. Hello, hello, everyone. Cheerio. He's also acting as a producer on the show now and bringing in our, our new um, amazing guest, which I'm looking forward to meeting and chatting with, um, actress who's just been on the road touring with a brilliant one-woman show, Felicia Chappelle. Say hello, Felicia. Hi, everybody. How's everybody feeling? <laughs> We're feeling... Great. Um, <laughs> Everyone's good. Everyone's good. So tell us, you were um, performing on the road. Um, you were doing your one-woman show, and tell us one a little bit about yourself and how you got into the arts of becoming an actress, and and then we'll get into your show. Well, um, I guess I've always been an artistic mind. There's no escaping it. <laughs> there is nothing I can do to quell art <laughs> that does not work. I've tried everything. So um, 
when I decided to write again, I came up with Interrupted Motherhood and I started writing and editing and writing and rewriting. And then I landed on a whole complete producible finished product. So I went on the road and um, the road, where is the road? I miss touring right now. Of course, we're all kind of cooped up, but um, the show wasn't an easy birth for me. It is somewhat autobiographical and uh, my connection to writing and touring political theater first and now this piece that I'm working on. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't find a way to sever the tie. I can't not be funny. I can't not be creative. My mind doesn't have an off switch. So I came back and I'm, I'm just going to go hard and get my, get my show back up on the road again when the road returns. <laughs> well, what's the name of your show? Interrupted Motherhood. Um, Interrupted is the name. Motherhood. Yeah, Interrupted Motherhood. And uh, it's been a fantastic receive. Lots of people have given me way more uh, encouraging feedback than I was expecting from audience members because it's a complex piece and it's very layered and very gripping. And, you know, there are breaths in it. We can all breathe. Uh, <laughs> but it delivers pretty hard. What cities have you been uh, performing in? Unfortunately, some of the cities got interrupted, of course, but um, I think we've had like a dozen shows that we got around to, a little bit of West Coast, a little of the Eastern Shoreboard, and we were last in Decatur, Georgia for Black History Month, and then, you know, everything kind of had to stand still for a minute, but um, every audience has been its own little uh, special treat. The people who've seen it, I've all been very excited. And now when things stopped, everybody was like, oh my God, I really hope a lot of people chiming in. I really hope, you know, um, we get to see the yeah. show and we will, we will. I'm confident we will. That's great. Well, so with, with um, your motherhood interrupted, now you have kids of your, of your own. You said you have four, you have four children? Yeah, with interrupted motherhood, it is autobiographical. I do have four children. They don't mind me saying out loud that they exist. <laughs> And they didn't know, yeah, they don't mind. I'm allowed to say they exist. And that's about all I'm allowed to say, but I am allowed to say that. And uh, they didn't know that I was an artist. Um, and that's a really big piece of it. They did not know that I was a creative talent that went on pause for um, the joy of their existence coming to be. So that was a mind-blowing, touching experience to have them at the first um, performance not knowing what to expect and being mind blown by like the the talent that they didn't they they couldn't even connect they were like seeing something that they didn't know I had in me so that was interesting very well, did they did they, they did, did not know you studied theater and you were well shakespearean actress they did your kids didn't know that no? isn't that amazing um i'm glad you said it like that because i mean they knew i was trained but so many people can say they're trained at something and then suck at it. <laughs> like people are trained to teach them math, but don't try to convince them that that's a fact. And they just, you know, that is true. never connected. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Mike is, is really, he's been in, in LA in the business. Um, he was a comedian and he, he got into uh, directing and all other things. And he keeps, you kept, you've been bringing up a lot about people who claim to be trained or claim to have art, yeah. artistry and, and how the business is, is just constantly uh, almost destroying the arts in some way as, a, as much as it promotes it. Yeah, I mean, I you think there's some truth to that for sure. I think that's, uh, you know, I think it, well, first of all, like when anyone, like to your point of anyone saying they can be, like people now wake up and say, oh, I'm a director or I'm, a, I'm an actor or I'm a, like, you don't have to have a license. So it's like, how do you <laughs> discern 
you know what I mean? Like anyone can be like, I just decided I'm an actor, you know, and, or, you know, anything that's artistic. And it depends what you're doing it for. If it's for the ego, then you can say what you want. But at the end of the day, you have to deliver the work, right? So uh, that's the real difference. I mean, people who actually are committed to the, you know, the, the grind of like actually creating something, you know? I think, yeah, I, I, I can, I can agree. I can really agree with that. I think I, when I see younger comics now and younger actors, I always say, how much time have you put in? Right. Have you starved? Do you, <laughs> have you been through the stretch? Do you know what it's like? Have you taken off for a long time, taken a job, pay your bills and then get back to it? No, you haven't done any of those things. Um, mm. So you're talking and, and then you have slapstick jokes or something that's very just easy to rehearse and just go up and do stand up. Stand up to me is life experience. Mm-hmm. Great actors are life experience. They go through things, they change, they, and, and, and you can see it in their performance, you know, oh, that's, yeah. to me, that's, that's where you see the talent. I, I, I agree with you on that. Totally. Man. You have people that just say their things, but they haven't been to shit. Well, and then the, totally in the influencer culture. Now the fact that you can be 18 years old and making half a million a year, just going beep, boop, bop, beep, beep, or whatever. I mean, I, like, I don't get it. Like if you watch a lot of these influencers that are really young, it's amazing that they'll just be lip syncing other people's music. And then they're, you know, they have brands and managers. <laughs> so then they, so then they try and yeah. do stand up. They come to a club and they're like, ah, and they get their audience. I don't know if you've had that where their audience comes out or you've seen that. Oh yeah. And they've got, and then I call them bringer shows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, br- definitely bringer shows, <laughs> but they'll pack it in and then there's no craft, you know, the craft is lost. There's, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm finding even with all arts. And that's what I've, I've actually, you know, as we roll into the topic of, you know, has the pandemic given you a minute's pause to really be able to dig into your art? And, you know, Heather is, um, Heather's a, a hoofer. She's a, she is a tap dancer. My uncle was uh, taught the Heinz brothers and uh, did all the movies like tap and uh, sophisticated ladies, black and blue, UB, cotton club. And so when I first met Heather, I was doing a one-woman show, and I, I begged her to choreograph a piece that I dedicated to my uncle, um, Henry Letang, and, and then she ended up working with me on these other projects. And I keep dragging her into all these concocted ideas of how we're going to make another film or another pitch. Um, but it's been amazing to, that this break, she's been just uh, dancing. I mean, just for four, six hours, just, I mean, the, the neighbors want to kill her, but just like <laughs> just finding yourself. And I, and I, I also think that too, it's not limited to comedy because I always, uh, I had a, a great mentor that told me that it was like, there's like 64 art forms and they all have the same core. Um, mm. And so listening, you know, when she's, when you're working, are you, are you finding, um, are you, you're, are you feeling good about what you're picking up and, and, you know, how are you feeling artistically, Heather, while you're, while we're in pause? Um, or, you know, artistically, because I know that I, I, I personally have been trying to drag you down a, a road of uh, good business ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood's going to love this one. <laughs> no, I think for me, it's been good because it's, it's helped me to uh, get back to myself. 
in so many ways. Like the part of me that I, I kind of left because I was either trying to do some, yeah, you know, one of our ideas, um, or because I was just trying to make money to pay bills and take care of things I need to take care of. Um, I think this has been, I, this is the part of me that was missing for the last many years that was still there, but I kept pushing off to the side. So, mm. so artistically, this has been great for me. Like, I wonder for someone like Felicia, I don't know how old your kids are. Are they school age still or grown out of the house? Uh, Did you have to develop this while still? I was develop. I'm developing and parenting at the same yeah. time. Transition because like you're saying, there's a part of you that's still alive. that's art, but everything else in life still has to happen on a daily basis. And, yeah. Um, I just have so much real. respect. <laughs> yeah. I have so much respect for someone when you're, when you're raising kids and, and then also trying to, to go back into something that you had put off to the side for a minute, you know, I can maybe much richer sure. when it, you come back. I hope to be, well, there's two things. There's nothing worse than getting back on stage. Like Masavia was saying, you know, have you taken a break uh, to pay the bills and then gotten back up there? Did you find yourself talentless? Were your jokes flat? Did you have like <laughs> 10 dead sets in a row where nobody <laughs> laughed at anything and you just had to like soak in the self-annihilation while nobody said a word about anything? I mean, that's a hard place to be in, but yeah. also... Um, just the the fact that you have to multitask and the fact that you have to um find yourself and your art if you don't keep connecting it doesn't go away i've tried that it doesn't it doesn't go away but there is a a real loss that happens where uh, nothing really rings nothing connects because you're like like heather like you're saying heather you know you're kind of outside of yourself you're just a slightly off to the yeah. left center mm -hmm. doesn't find itself there yeah and it's one, I mean, one thing for me is, I mean, it's just a, you know, the struggle of, of doing a job or, you know, it, it is on some levels creative, but it's not what I do. And so it's like that, I got to make my money, I got to make my money and it keeps pulling, but you're raising human beings. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's a difference between me going to my day job and you having to raise humans. <laughs> so, yeah, you know that's I mean? a very real thing. That um, is a very things, different. Yeah, it is that's a, real a thing. whole different level of, of um, you know, you're you're responsible for human beings and raising them and and taking care of other lives. I just had to go to a crappy job that I didn't like. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can tell you for sure, Heather. One thing I can tell you with certainty: nobody likes you. When you decide that they are no longer the center of all universes that ever existed. So when I made the decision to really put a big boundary around that said, all the things I always do for you can still exist, but they have to coexist with this new me that you're going to get to know. Yeah. And nobody mm -hmm. likes you then. Nobody no, but they're going to appreciate it down the No, road. they do. They do now. Sure. If, if there was yeah. that time period, you know, writers are hard to live with for other adults. You know, let alone when you're used to them being your primary source of stability. You know, yeah. writers are hard to live with, period. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, I could see that. Yeah. You know. When you quit, when you stopped or tried to stop, what was the motivation that made you stop? Was it just you trying to not shine? Because, you know, sometimes as women, we think, you know, we, we reach out and say, well, you know, I'm going to give someone else shine time. I'm not going to. And if you're very bright, sometimes, um, you, you know, you step away. For that or 
I'm glad was, you asked that. That's a really great question because part of it is the a womanhood that I don't want to acknowledge. The part where you know you kind of feel like everybody says you can have the best best of both worlds, but when you first enter that fantasy, there's this like a white picket fence, and you cross the threshold, and you're going to become this whole dream of a perfect family mm -hmm. experience. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it goes with the white dress or if it goes with the flowers. I don't know where that comes from, but I, uh, you know, all my feminism and all of my hyper intelligence did not save me from that um, idea about what, what, what things were gonna be. And also I thought I didn't have to. I was like, I can shine right here, you know? It didn't occur to me the necessity of art. Like I didn't know that it was genetically predisposed or like some kind of programming in my DNA that was like, oh, try to do something else. It's not gonna ever work for you. Mm -hmm. Well, you come from an artist family. I, I remember um, your brother I, from when I was spent a lot of time in, in New York, but talking about your father being a musician and being raised in music and art and, and you know, so I, I, I imagine, um, it, I found the same thing. Like I quit for almost 15 years and it was it was kind of taking a back seat and in fact i was talking to mike today about something new a new project and he was like you're not taking a back seat on this one i don't want to hear a bunch <laughs> of people a bunch of guys pushing themselves in it has to be and it, which is admirable mm -hmm. to you mike and also to masavia because i both of you were have always been uh, men that really uh, really helped others shine but i find um you know, and I came from, my mother was a, uh, an eclectic jazz singer, kind of like an Ema Sumac. And it took me many years to come back, even um, that time off. And I, as much as I, I don't like the break, I'm finding now that it's forcing me to redefine myself and to really say like, you know, if I've been gone all this time, like, who am I? And to really dig into my roots to keep me going, which is my, my, my mom passed when I was a kid. So um, for me, it was always like trying to be in search of my mother and try to honor my mother. And for many years, when I stopped, I felt like I was just not connecting to who I, who she put so much work into. Do you ever, do you ever feel that with, you know, your, your father's legacy and, uh, and, and others in your family of the pressure of um, coming from also some great art, great artists and teachers? It's funny because like you're saying about, you said, your, you know, your uncle teaches dance, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it impacted us all. So you kind of, I mean, I don't necessarily feel pressure. The atmosphere of art was so poignant in our upbringing, you know, even from my parents singing, you know, romantic duets together, um, mostly spirituals, but they somehow brought mm. them into a, just a lustful, rich, romantic place. And my father's incredible connection to music and all kinds of men would come and visit my father and they would play music until late, 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 late in the night. And there were congas and strings and, and you know, a, the piano in our music room. So it was constant. There was a constant, to, to have life without art, uh, impossible. Um, it was like air for us. It just, it didn't even occur. So when you say, do I feel kind of pressure? Actually, it are, the only pressure I feel is when all these years of trying to suppress my connection to it, you know, like, <laughs> do I have to do this? Like, there's plenty of, there's plenty of shine, you know, my father left some and, you know, it's just all over. So there's really, do I have to? And I realized that that wasn't an external thing. 15 years for you. 
five minutes for someone else, you know, three months for anybody mm -hmm. who's used to a tour schedule. Um, you just, you just know, it, it, there's no pressure. It, the pressure is in trying to make it go away or, or not staying focused, like Michael was saying about the discipline um, that it mm. takes. Or Masabi was saying, like, have you actually been tested? You know, you guys really hit it on the head with that. Um, mm. It doesn't go away. It's going to be there. So it does, is how, what is it like when it's tested? What is it like when you look at it? What is it like when it moves past charisma and you actually have to, you know, uh, craft, like you're saying, Michael, you have to craft. You can't just get mm. up there and, you know, that wears out, even for the stars who hit that algorithm and everybody wants them for that five minutes. It wears out. And after that, you need craft. You need substance. You need experience. Right. And the industry thinks that that's a formula for creativity. And we all know as artists that that is not the case. <laughs> and, you, and you know what I've always noticed, too, from being behind the scenes, is that some guys come in real fast and they die fast. And then some guys are working on their craft for years. You've never seen them, but they worked on their craft. And then all of a sudden they explode and you're like, they're new. They just came out. <laughs> but they've been they've been in the game for years yeah. but then they come out and you're like god yeah. damn who the fuck is this but meanwhile they were behind the scenes working their asses off owning their craft suffering doing what they're doing and then when they stay they stay and then they're guys who just want a quick buck they want to be famous boom they're gone do you right. know what i mean it's like it's it's the love of it that's all you know yeah 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 you know you can't you can take a job here and there and make money but when you love something, you will die for it. That's mm -hmm. what I, that's the way I see it. You know, yeah. I don't care how it goes. You, you, and, and so I admire all of you guys for having that ability to stay in there, fucking pounding it out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I appreciate the most as a spectator, as a person that wants to manage and work with artists yeah. in that way. That's what I look for in people. You know, yeah. their their strength and their stability. Like, how loyal are they to it? You know. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's interesting. It's like both of you guys when you were what you were saying. It's like that illusion. Even when you're talking about getting getting married and crossing the threshold and or making it and like I'm going to be famous. It's all these illusions of what it's going to be like. You know, because we're yeah. told that we're told that, and we're told this is how you're going to feel and you're going to finally feel this and you're going to finally get that whatever that is but the truth is like people who are doing it for the art's sake or you know want to develop something or build something or say something and they're not doing it for that other shit you know like those are the people that you're talking about where they've been around they've been around and nothing's happening and all of a sudden bam it's because like you know they're not just after you know being on some like reality show you know i, I mean I, yeah yeah. I think it's interesting is what Mike was, has been saying to me because the day I met Mike was a show that I someone asked me to do. I don't know if you remember Ben Morrison, Masavia, but yeah, he asked I me do. to do a I show would... called Super Funny where he's like, I want you to take visuals and I want you to talk about your mother. I want you to do a piece on your mother. And I did, my father's Italian. He was born in Somalia and I did Somalia pictures and when they came to America. And then, and then it was so uncomfortable because, you know, I'm so used to playing try to just chase that laugh. And then they, he asked me to do, um, you know, the pieces of my mom. So I did my, my great grandmother who was born when slavery was abolished. And I did this and that piece. I did my grandmother was one of the first AKAs and 
Ohio at uh, Ohio State. And so I'm doing these pieces and Heather, and I literally run from that depth that's starting to happen because I think um, I, coming back, it's, it's like I'm doing more truthful material than I've ever done. But I, th that was something where you have to stay like the power of truth as opposed to having to have a punchline on the end. Because when he asked me to shift the show and we were doing slides in the background, like I was like, well, I'll put the slide up, but I didn't really have a joke for that. And when I left, Heather, Heather was funny too, because she was saying, you know, she's like, people gasped because they, they're looking at you and they don't know. And then you go into your great grandmother, which you think the slavery so long ago, and you don't see, she taught, you know, like Carl Robeson and these little stories. And then you start to see things connecting. Um, and then when I met Mike was the second time I ran that show and I came out and I was like, oh, it was this terrible. And he was, and what's, what's um, inspiring is that he's been talking about a lot of the new specials aren't just stand-up based. There are people in their backgrounds and their stories and, and, and these combination documentaries and elements where people are rooted. And so it's forcing me to go back into my own one person, which is my, really, like my hour that I go back and forth between one person show and hour, because um, I want to be able to stretch, stretch it and really sit in the moments. But he's, it's like, let me take this fluff layer off. And it's because of the awareness and the politics that I, I can discuss race without having to feel like I have to coddle people. I can just take that little layer of the, the silliness off of it and allow these new elements to resonate and, and allow people to really look into my story. Because this last year, for the first time coming back, and I've been on the road for like a year straight, but the opportunities are opening because I'm doing, talking about my mother and always, same thing, growing up with always music in the house, everything was a musical, I couldn't escape. And, um, and thinking that, is this really a, a joke structure? But that um, it's been opening doors and I think it's the truth that's opening the doors. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that comedy, like as Mike was saying, is going into a new place and opportunities for, uh, and I heard this at, over even at Laugh Factory, they were saying, Netflix doesn't want a comedy special anymore. They want something with more depth. They want something um, that has more moving parts um, to make you think, not just a bunch of jokes, which has been mm -hmm. interesting and really encouraging. So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we were talking about. There's always room for just straight stand-up. I'm not, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that. It's just like, I think when you have something valid to say and important to say and unique to say to not say it or to cover it in something that feels very produced or one dimensional is not like beneficial to you or anybody else, you know, even if it's like using traditional joke structures and things like that, that we're all supposed to do in comedy. I think that given the fact that, you know, you can broaden out and do more and um, give people a better idea of who you are and still be funny and still add all those layers. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's my two cents. I think that's the stuff that people go, wow. Like, like Heather's saying, like people gasp when they heard your story and the way you were telling it, because it's a really unique, truly American story, you know? Well, hey, Fel so Felicia, let me ask you, when you, uh, when things go back, are you going to tweak the work that you did to add to this whole experience with the, 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 the riots, the, the uh the virus all of those things are you going to add be able to add that to your uh one woman show or are you going to uh continue with the way it was you know that's a great question because the show asked 
so many questions. When I first started having a lot of artistic insecurity after um, COVID hit and I'd been in quarantine for a while and had questions about um, what's this mean for my art? Not so much in terms of the marketing of it, but I really had questions about um, why is why are we having this Armageddon experience when I decide to go back to work? You know, it was kind of the you know yeah. joke out of it. But I really felt some kind of you know dismay, and I felt a lot of artistic insecurity about that. And then I started thinking about the material and just trying to stay connected to the piece so mm-hmm. that I didn't lose mm-hmm. everything in case we were going to go right cool. back, or I didn't really know where it was going to land. And the thing that kept resonating with me was I don't have to do a thing. The, uh, the, integ- the emotional integrity that is demanded by this thing that I accidentally wrote pre-pandemic is so thoroughly applicable to exactly what it feels like. All the questions are still parallel. We're dealing with questions mm-hmm. of life, questions of death, and, and what every step of that walk is going to be like. And there's food scarcity and there's economic uncertainty and all that was already being asked Right. by wow. the character so i was really amazed I, w- I was almost scared of the work at that point i was almost mm. afraid of the art like okay do you actually need me to be here or are you just some art showing up and you're going to do what you want to do whether i show up or not and i kind of stepped up my my concentration and like you keep saying michael my my discipline and my mm-hmm. craft like this art's mine i better really cool. um, i better really focus because the emotional integrity the fidelity was was stronger than I would. I couldn't have written that in if I wanted to, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, as comedians, guys, I mean, how are you going to make this funny? I was was wondering, like, are you going to add COVID and riots to your acts? I mean... I mean, don't you think that's what everyone's going (laughs) to... I think the tough thing is... I want to see how... I mean, do you think it's too sensitive... You know, like after 9-11, comics couldn't really talk about it because it was so oh, right. Um, I think it depends who you are, right? I mean, I think the perspective of the individual, you know? I think it's like... When 9-11 a, like, happened... Yeah. No, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? When 9-11 happened, I remember the first day I went on the mic, I just rolled right into 9-11. But that's because I you know, came up with you down at the club. So... Like, I, I think I'm almost too, uh, I'm not a fluff comic. I've never been a fluff comic. And so this, like uh, Felicia's saying, it's almost, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, you, you're given these amazing gifts of your voice. And if you're standing on a foundation of, of really of truth and what your energy is, um, that this time doesn't shake that. If you're building on fluff, and things that don't really matter, then I think those are people who have to rewrite. But when you're right. sitting on like a really intense um, spiritual connection and, and, and you really meditated on what you're putting out there, uh, like I found this to be like doors are opening during the pandemic because I feel like people really need that kind of energy, you know? Mm-hmm. But oh, you go on, Mike, you were saying. No, I was just going to say like, I just don't think like for someone like, me being from Canada, for example, like a white guy from Canada about what's been going on with everything. I don't know if it's like, it's time for, you know, if it's right. I don't know if it's the word right, but it's like, I don't know if I would bring something weighty enough or like to that, to that conversation. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, and I, and maybe, maybe because, you know, I just, I feel like honestly, like, you know, I, we've talked about this before, like mine, I've talked about it quite a bit. It's like, 
I know so many people in my world who are like commenting on Instagram and on social media. And I just don't, I think they're just self-congratulatory. They're like, enough's enough. Time to stop. But they don't, it, dri- it was driving me nuts. Like it was driving me yeah. nuts because I didn't feel there was any real connection to it. Like they, they, they tweet something or post something and then go like shopping on Amazon for two hours. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm helping out. It's like, no, you're like, that's not, that's not helping out. <laughs> and so like, it's very confused. It's, it's like, you know, I kind of feel like, like my job is more like to, you know, in the sense of like comedy I'm speaking about, it's more like in that's in that side is like more just to listen than, than like get up yeah. and like shout my opinions on everything and feel bullshit to be honest. Cause I don't feel yeah. like that's the voice that needs to be heard right now. And yeah. I wouldn't want to take up that space. You know what I mean? I, um, I mean, I'd be happy to talk about it with someone. I'm not afraid of that. It's just more like, it just, uh, it, it would, I think people would roll their eyes and I actually don't blame them. I just don't think like I'm going to have the insight and depth to bring something to the table and the experience that's going to be meaningful to anybody like that. So that's when I think like, yeah, I think people are going to talk about it and people have to talk about it and should, but I think it's also important who talks about it, you know? Well, I mean, as artists, I guess all of you think of angles though, right? I mean, yeah. uh, like how, how can I angle this or how can mm-hmm. I angle that? I mean, I, I would think as a performer or as a comedian, you always think about how to take something so serious and spin mm-hmm. it and make it into a, a, a craft of humor. Even yeah. I think, be, I think you know. a white male comic, I think a white male comic saying, I really need to just shut up and listen is really a powerful thing. <laughs> well, I mean, and it, I, I don't want to sound even cliched on that, but it's like, no, but, no, but it's like, you know, here's the thing, man. I just don't feel like, you know, you, if anyone who's like, not to get into, now we're getting into this whole thing, but anyone who's white, who has not grown in the recent years, like I love that expression that someone, uh, an old fish was swing by two young fish and said, how's the water boys. And they're like, what's water? Cause it just is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I really feel like as I, you really don't know, and, and it's not an excuse, but like growing up white in Toronto, it's like, it's, there, which there wasn't the level of, uh, you know, of race. I mean, there's racism everywhere, but like, it's not like the U.S., not to be begging on the U.S., but like, it's, you know, moving down here, like, holy shit, like people aren't messing around down here with that. Um, but, you know, it's just sort of like you don't, there's such a lack of awareness. So it's been really, you know, interesting, like doing what you can to expand your view and like try and have empathy and try and really see from other sides of things. So I don't know, just when you were saying like, you know, would you talk about this? I think it would be really, I, I just would want to make sure I'm being respectful and not in a, like, I don't mean like in a push sure. way. I don't mean like, sure. oh, I don't want to get in trouble. It's just like, you, I, I, I have something to say that's like unique or I, I you know, I, I have bits like sort of bagging on the right my own way, but it's like, on you know, on the on right wing, but it's not like digging really into this. Um, but I think, you know, you could do it. You could do a bit about exactly what we're talking about, you know, like you could spin something on exactly what we're saying. So yeah, right. yeah I guess right. you could do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I find Heather has been going through some of this interesting stuff because Heather is, She's so funny because Heather will roll with forever and then be like, oh, we forgot we're saying all this white stuff. And Heather's, because we don't think of Heather as white, because Heather grew up with, like I said, she grew up with my uncle and all the. She grew up with like, the brothers and shit. She grew up with yeah, all well, the brothers. She, she, but she's never been anything 
But what's really funny, she's dancing or when it, she's working out and training with some of the noise funk guys. So, you know, she oh, was blend the noise, about, Brenda, yeah. Yeah, and she's, she's, so she's in here doing these pieces and um, they're interesting because she's, there's so much incredible jazz music that, that is coming up that she's, you know, hoping to. So there's a piece that was, she was doing Strange Fruit the other day. And that's what she was saying that she felt like she was weird. She felt very strange, weird about doing strange fruit at first. And then, um, well, t tell them the story of what you were dealing with. Cause you. Okay. Well, yeah, my, my teacher had given us, you know, three options of songs and strange fruit was one of them. And I chose it and immediately and the only other person. Explain it to people, explain to people what it is in case they don't know strange fruit. I think everybody on this well, to the rest of the world what strange fruit is look i think everyone here knows what it is um, uh, so uh yeah i was dancing to strange fruit by nina simone uh nina simone's version of it i should say and uh so it's a song uh, about the lynchings um of black people that was written actually by a jewish protest uh, an activist originally and <laughs> billy holiday did it originally and would close her show with it and um would cause and when she started doing it she caused a really big stir with it also i didn't know i she didn't would, know that wow yeah she was the first one to do it and she would she would do this she would sing the song she would finish it lights would go out and she'd leave the stage and not come back and that's how she started ending when she would choose to do it in her shows that's how she would end mm -hmm. the show um, and either people would get pissed off and walk out or she would have this huge standing ovation because it's such a powerful piece. And Nina Simone, when she did it in her documentary, it showed, it was so disturbing. I don't know if you guys saw the documentary, I think it was on Netflix about her. Yeah. Um, but they were showing her doing strange fruit and then they panned to this audience of white people who were like smiling and almost bopping their heads to this piece that is so, and I mean, the lyrics are, there is no, they're very direct and descriptive of bodies hanging like strange fruit from these trees. I mean, it's such an intense, powerful song and so hard to listen to. Anyway, point being, I decided to do it or try it. And, um, and then I thought I shouldn't do it. And then my teacher, um, who is black convinced me that I did, should do it um, and that I had every right to do the piece, but it's, it keeps coming up with different things because it, it's like, there's pieces where I feel like, I felt like I should do it because I, it drew such strong, it draws such strong emotions for me. And while at mm -hmm. first I was like, this isn't my story or my place to dance to this, but then it is my story on the wrong end of it. Um, and, and in a sense, and I, I don't know. And I felt like I needed to, to almost pay my respects with it. I don't know if that's the right. No, I understand what you mean. I like, say that. do you feel like you, you feel but like you're not tied like to an do acknowledge, it? Like, I feel like I shouldn't because it wasn't, that's not, I felt like I shouldn't do it because it would somehow be disrespectful. But Heather, hmm. let me ask you. That's you know, why I originally thought. 
aren't you in it and it's it's a part of you and you can you can understand it and you're there and you're having visceral mm. body sensations yeah. and you're expressing yes. yourself in movement and then there's that white thing i'll just call it a white thing yeah that says stop <laughs> no you can't you don't you aren't and you know and the disease of racism has diminished us all so you're an artist and your body is in it and your your heart and your mind and your your focus is in it and you're allowed in that moment and then all of a sudden you know the thing comes in and says you know we are the trainers of thought and racism is who you are and you know and then you give up something and we needed it and you know i might have complained in my blackness about your Notness and you know all that but I, I don't know don't when do i wish i can't imagine what happens when the stop disappears that's my big fantasy yeah i i don't know it was interesting and when i ended up doing it and we had like a small like audience watching my, you know my teacher said after he said the next day he said the only complaints i got from you guys from the couple of people and only a couple of us chose to do it in these like three different classes that he had so the only complaints i got were from white women and he goes they like were disturbed he's like they and some of them were really pissed off like pissed off um he's like it was really interesting but i <laughs> yeah i don't know it's a thing though choosing these pieces because even you know there was another week where i was doing another nina simone and we had a choice and he said did anyone choose four women and i looked at four women and I thought, my first thought was, I can't do this. It would somehow be disrespectful. And not well, right, know, for, that's, and not that's right for me to too. dance to that piece. I was like, I shouldn't, I should not be, I shouldn't be dancing to this. This is not, I should. And someone else said the same thing. She said, I should listen to it and I should take it in and respect it, but I shouldn't dance to it. But I also get tired of those black people who say, well, they shouldn't be doing it because they're white. Well, who's going to tell the story? Who's going to express it? Because you're not, you're black and you're not expressing it. So why not, why can't someone else express it in that I mean, view? And that's how women. I look at it as a black person sometimes. I'm happy that someone told the story, that the story was not what, so you're telling the story that hasn't been told. Right. That's how I look at it. Well, I think mm. because four women is, I just felt like it should be black women, a black woman. Like I, like I shouldn't, I don't but, know. But what, what black women is do? what black women do you know that's going to do it? Do well, you know any? Well, sure. There's some black female tap dancers that I think would absolutely. Are you going to, you're going to tell them to do it or are you going to do it the way you see it? Well, <laughs> 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 I love misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I, I really get when I when I get with my people and they go, oh, well, why? I mean, why did uh, Quentin Tarantino do Django? Well, Django was fucking good. I liked it. You know, Spike Lee was all pissed off about it. But you know what? Fucking Quentin Tarantino blew the shit up. So Spike had to eat it for a minute. Right. Shit was good. But mm-hmm. it made the, 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 the he looked like a hero in the end. It was brutal. It was this and that. It was making a mockery, but it was told. I, I mean, so did, was it, did it do black people injustice? No. I mean, did it make black people look bad? I don't think so. Um, right. But because Quentin Tarantino is white, 
black some black people were like all all up in ants about what art and how he should express it should be and it, it he did it the way he thought it was good and it was good that's all i have to say about it so i think you have to take charge sometimes that's a really interesting point you're making because is it about the art itself or does it count who made it like you know if like like you know how they're saying picasso was like you know he was dating women or girls who were 16 so we should burn his paintings like that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) but does it like get into you know like quentin tarantino making django if the art of what he did and the message of what he did is good or works let's say some may not think so but let's say it does but it's coming from him is it still like you know it's valid you know still or not you know um right and that that's that's always i think that should be out the window sometimes i think Mm -hmm. uh so to my point i love spike lee but spike lee can't Mm -hmm. do every fucking black movie right? right so and can't tell every black story because there's so many stories. So if a white director wants to tell a black story, that's fucking great. Let him do it. Why not? Yeah. The color purple well, was, was uh, Steven Spielberg. Right. But Steven didn't write it. No, but but he but he directed it. And I, I, you know I I also get I get a lot of the packaging problem. You know people for since I started in comedy. My my message, you know, it, it's and Masabia was really one of the people in my ear through that time, um, especially because I came up in the Chitlin circuit. So it was it was a constant. Everybody was at me. I love Chitlin circuit. <laughs> it was a it was Chitlin circuit. So Chitlin, did I say Chitlin? That's was that I Tyler drunk, Perry. That's that Tyler okay. Perry talk. Chitlin circuit. Come on, no, but it, it was a Chitlin circuit. I mean, come Damn, on, you know, good, Sunday bro. night at the Boston Comedy Damn, Club. Chitlin circuit. Sugar Shack and you know what I'm saying? That was like those rooms were terrible. Those were some terrible. Everybody's nasty. I was getting people. Damn your mama smell like me. Man. But that's what but that's what we got. It's a it's come on, man. But you what strong, do you want to call, call it? But it made you, you a stronger it? comic though. It made but you a stronger I had, comic. But but because I did have people in my corner, like Mo specifically, when I'm coming off the stage, just literally saying you you can't you can't back down. You've got to get up. Like you can't back down. And you know sometimes I mean people have made me feel like what am I supposed to tell? You know. Uh, but oh yeah, like, because because yeah they figure you yeah look at this light skinned pretty girl half white she thinks she's all but you have a story to tell and they would give you shit about it and you would you would often feel like. It, it bothered you because of the treatment of it. I thought it was fucked up. I thought, why can't you tell your story if it's funny, right? Mm-hmm. But I think you had to get to that point where you're like, fuck you, I'm going to tell my story, you know? And then everyone's like, he's so angry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the truth, but the key is, I think when you, if you're working on truth, if the story is true, if you're telling the truth, if your emotion is truly connecting to it, like you, the truth overwhelms all of it because it's mesmerizing and it's transcending because if it, if it wasn't, I think so much of the progress that uh, just period as black artists have had is, you know, the beauty of arts is that it just, it's blinding. Truth takes over, emotions take over, feeling things, feeling things take over aside from the white crowd that is was listening to 
Nina Simone and cheering, <laughs> cheering on strangers. But that could have happened. Was, was that filmed in the Carolinas? <laughs> like, like, oh, is, um, but um, but I, I, I think it's important. That's why I think even now it's interesting with um, what's happening in America with. with I mean, gonna carry let, let's look at uh, Rich Voss, for instance. Remember when he hit the scene talking like a black guy? You know. No, it was before me. <laughs> Did he? Did he talk like black? I mean, really? Rich Ross used to be like, you know, what's up? You know, but girl. he, he was, girl. yeah, and we used to think he was Italian, not Jewish, you know? And, and so he, he came out with those, this sort of street black, and the black audiences loved him because it were easy black and white jokes, you know? Once you go mm -hmm. black, you never go back. Well, that's because our family won't let you in. I mean, that's his routine today, but the whole point mm -hmm. is like, he still do the same fucking routine, but. <laughs> he he captured the black audience. They loved him. It was like you couldn't say, "Hey, I don't." Rich shouldn't say that. It was just black people like that shit. It worked, and that chicken circuit, as you call it, chitlin. it worked. Yeah, the chitlin. I'm sorry, I said I chicken. It, it should be chicken. chicken. <laughs> well, that's really what it is. I mean, traditionally, I mean, I'm an uptown uptown comedy club. Before I came down to Boston, I was an uptown comedy club. Yeah. And, and you go to the, you go to the uh, Peppermint Lounge and like Sugar Shack and all those. Oh rooms. man, those are hard rooms too. Those are those Fucking are my rooms. Yeah. We tap danced at Peppermint Lounge. <laughs> we tap danced at the Peppermint uh. in East Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> no, that was gangster. You, you, if you weren't funny, they were fucking. They would pounce you. I mean, they were brutal. I, I, I used to get white bitching off the stage every time I start. Remember? <laughs> I'm serious. Every time I walk in, white bitch go off the stage. They did it at the Apollo. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Let me explain. <laughs> Hold on. Time out, everybody. <laughs> in like three seconds left before I get carried out of the place. Were but you, the point did is, you, is Felicia, did you do traditional stand-up at all, or are you uh, working more in a one-person show forum? I've never in my entire life done stand-up, but I'm excruciatingly funny. But truth, that's what, yes, you know, you are. Back to me for, I am excruciatingly funny. <laughs> and um, I don't think I would translate well into stand-up, mainly because I don't like having to um, adhere to the rules of timing. I know, Michael, right. I know all mm. of you comics can totally respect that. I don't like yes. having to have timing. I just want to be funny. I want to be funny till it hurts. I want somebody to take their last breath laughing. I'm just like not very talented at pacing myself at all. But what you were saying about truth really rings true, really made sense to me because you said about truth. And I'm thinking, okay, the, the truth, the, the truth, the funny truth, the tragic truth, the naked mm -hmm. truth, the um, unrestrained truth, the um, my truth, you know, if you, and I think if we live in that, that's a really strong statement that you've made about how truth is. And if you can hold an audience with the truth, they can laugh later, they can cry later, they can dance later, or they can right. do whatever they want later. Because if you hold them with the truth, the mm -hmm. joke will come out like three or four days later, like a, you know, <laughs> yeah like I a shit you forgot to take or something it'll come out the truth it'll be like you'll do be doing something else and it'll come out you know I, yeah i, I agree with that. That. yeah one thing that i find to exactly your point is um you know when it's something that's really truthful you remember 
especially if you're in comedy clubs a lot, you remember that joke. You remember that person. You could have, you could watch someone and you're, it's super funny and you're laughing, but if it's just sort of surfacey stuff or I don't call it hacky, but just material that's, you know, funny, you might not remember any, you might go, oh, that guy was funny or she was funny, but I don't remember what they said. But when someone stuff, says stuff that hits you on that, like on that level, you're right. Four days later, you're like, yeah, like, that was really cool. Like, I remember that bit. I remember that person. I remember that moment. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is, is like where all the power is, I think. It takes so much courage, though. It really takes yeah. courage. And that's yeah. Like, I remember when I first started and I did, when I first, when I did my Def Jam and um, Dave was the host and he did a bunch of bits and at the end he it was he was doing like the middle million man march and he was doing he stopped and nobody laughed and he walked to get the mic stand in the back and by the time he came back with the stand and placed it down they caught it but it caught like this eruption that came up like it, ca it came up like this and then when we closed the show drew frazier was the final um comedian and every joke was boom, 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 boom. This is, it was just set a punch, set a punch. I remember being in the building and the room was shaking, like the building was shaking with laughter. And when we got the tape back and everyone looked at the show, it was almost like there was a wall of, of like white noise that separated the audience from Drew Frazier's punchlines compared to Dave. Wow. Because Dave yeah. stopped. And I remember in the middle of it, because he'd just come off of doing Buddies, so he had his like relaxation with camera was like mind blowing, and especially because I was what like six months into you know, so it's like calm. And he looked into the camera and he said, "Wait a minute!" And he looked right at the camera. Said, "If you think you're clicking through, and this is a Def Jam audience that wants jokes like this, so if you think you're clicking through the TV and and think you've stopped on a on a Black Caucus meeting on C-SPAN, don't turn." <laughs> like it was like, but it took this concentration and this evenness and this. Um, and I've been, I'm a fast comedian. Like I, I just did it. Like people are trying to say, you're like, I'm like a Robin Williams by nature. Cause when I get in a silly zone, I'm like, bang, 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 bang. it doesn't stop. But what, and even what you're challenging me to do, Mike, when we were talking about rooting in the things with my family and letting them sit and start to have confidence in the pressure cooker and not just say like, do am I having a laugh, a laugh every such a, am I having this, this laugh here, this, you know, this 12 laughs, a minute that I, when I was coming out of Uptown that I really required in my set, but to be able to sit down and control that room so that they can focus in and, and then, you know, and, and it does require some level of trust from that audience, mm -hmm. but I found nights, I remember I being, and it was a cruise thing and I'm not a cruise comic, but I was surprised with this multicultural people around the cruise and, you know, cause for me to go into doing like a, a powerful, like black is beautiful moment, and I never did the joke and I stopped and I was like, ugh. And the room didn't respond. And then I waited for a second or it just took my breath. And then all of a sudden it ripped into this whole new thing. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting when you come with truth to allow a breath and allow yeah. a moment saying something heavy. And um, I was doing my, my show now that it, my it show's called Incognito, and I, I was I was running as a one person show. I, I got a place in in Soho, which you probably would love, Felicia, this place called Here in Soho, if you've ever been there. And they founded the Vagina Monologues. Um, but once I was there and it was it, when I could, somebody said, well, why would you do your stand-up in a theater as opposed to just doing stand-up? 
And it's because I can drop the gears and take moments and take deep breaths and let the material, like I remember, because uh, coming back into stand-up, Robert Townsend helped me get back into stand-up. And you know, Robert was saying a lot of these comics work in one and two gear. They work in high gear, it's a very monotone thing. When you're comfortable enough to say you can work all gears, you can shift from here, you can drop it completely. You can bring it back up and through. So he would call it his gears. And about working, mm -hmm. working those gears and allowing yourself. And I think the theater takes the pressure off the comedian uh, to allow you to stop worrying about being funny. In fact, like when I met Mike, I ran out of the theater and I was like, oh, he was like, no, no, it was the day I met him. He was like, no, it was really powerful because it's, yeah. it's uncomfortable to be honest and to not have, um, to just let the truth be the truth and not feel like you have to do a show around it. And so growth. Yeah. Finding yeah. I think, it, I think what I like, it's less pandering, you know, it's less like trying to get three laughs a minute or whatever. Like I remember they used to say all the time, like, oh, you have to have a laugh every 15 seconds, every 20 seconds, especially if you're in New York. I remember like doing that once. And I've been like, I call it barking chihuahua. And that was me. Like I would watch great comics if I was opening for them or I was on after them. And, you know, you'd be like, blah, 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 blah. And even if you're getting laughs, I would get off and I would watch the next comic go on. And if they had that depth, I'd be like, oh, I was just like a barking small dog. Like I had, like, I brought nothing to the table and, uh, you know, I didn't, it took me a long time to even feel like I could do that, you know, you know, bring something a little more I rich. Show. It was right before I taped my Def Jam and I was terrified because every tape, every show I did up until the taping, um, I bombed. And so I run into Misavia and I told, and, I, and I'm like, what am I going to do? He's like, you just have to use it. I'm in the back crying. And so I went on stage and let myself cry through this set. And the audience didn't know what to do because they see me crying. And it was like, and I just started to just do the bits. And the bits were funny crying about being caught in, in this, being caught, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know whether to steal a car or steal a car and get caught. I'm so confused at being mixed. And, but I was crying, but I was really crying because I was panicked, but they called me to the stage. So I remember like it became a pressure cooker of first people not sure, but then the, the, even the hokier punchlines, they started getting bam, bam, bam. Sure. And, but the truthful emotion was one of the best sets I remember at that time when I was so young in comedy that I ever had. And I cried through the whole set and just talked about how messed up it was like being caught between everybody. And, but it was funny because I was in the back of the Boston and Masabi said, just go on. And we're, I'm like, ah, it's, it's, it's over. And um, using it and using the truth of it, even if it makes the audience uncomfortable, they were expecting me to just break down and I let the breakdown happen. But the wow. subtext of it was just, um, and it was right before I went and taped. And so, it, you know, and I was like, gee, if only I could do that for the taping. I was like, forget it. I'm never going to wow. be that comfortable. Um, well, I mean, speaking to the theater point too, uh, a lot of, uh, well, when I was working with Barry back in the day with Dave, but a lot of comedians were great standups, but they couldn't act, you know, so they couldn't get auditions, you know, mm. they, they would kill, I mean, Comedy Central would like them, but when they were going on auditions, they just didn't know how to act. Like all they could do was stand up. So they never really mm -hmm. brought in their horizons in far as learning how to do 
some kind of theater or some kind of co-reading, some kind of ability to read from a, you know, uh, so yeah. a lot of guys would miss opportunities on Saturday Night Live or uh, um, um, just to do even one, one kind of one man shows or have opportunities to go for uh, certain kind of commercials. It's because they just didn't take the time to learn how to act. Because yeah, yeah. Comedy and acting is two different things. Yeah. Too. You know, it's an expression of your. Totally. You know, it's interesting. Different. Oh. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just say is that now it's I know so many people that are actors. That started doing comedy. <laughs> That's true. It's like they're doing comedy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> and they're like, "Well, I'm just going to go do some stand up because." Uh, and then I watch I all my friends <laughs> who are who are stand, and then people that I know that are stand ups that like uh, like Maya are different people that I know cr- like spend their time crafting and honing and working and reworking and reworking and reworking mm-hmm. and honing everything and like really intently focusing on a craft. And then you have all these people that get up and they're just like, ah, I'm just gonna go get on stage and tell a few jokes, and then someone laughs at one of them and then they think they're brilliant. That's what yeah. happened to me. You know? I was actually, I came from, I came from Meisner to fill all this. I went from Alderson to stand up because I saw these guys that were working and it's like, I, I didn't want to not work. But I, I really think there's also a point to where, and the, I think they're my, my click in New York, my comedy click that has like that Masavi has always been part of my stand up click. You know, when, when I, when we did Bitter Jester, our comedy film, and we, like we interviewed uh, all these comedians, we got Phyllis Diller. And she was saying that she played piano and Johnny Carson was a drummer. And it's like, I, you know, when I was a kid, I was a drummer. And when, and, but I grew and I grew up in a tap studio, but I was a jazz drummer. And so like, you know, it, and she would say the musicians have a, a whole different sense of timing and their whole different sense of comedian and a whole different sense of performer and pacing and all the, all those elements. Um, and I've always find like when I, when I started hanging I said at the Boston with like you and Dave and Greer and, and Tony Woods and everybody, they all had a sense of music. Everyone, you guys coming out of Ellington was, you know, Brian, and all these guys. And so like, you know, and even I did my, like my other one person show was like Brian and um, who was the other guy, the drummer? Was it Jeremy? Jeremy. 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 These were guys that like, like they came in and they, so you guys have this whole execution of, 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 of an understanding of music and jazz. And, and I think that that's the key. It, with all of this is that one it's art and they are connected on so many fronts but the, mm-hmm. the ad, advantage of coming up in music advantage of my mother being singing and piano players and bassists coming in the house we always had a guy with upright bass come in the house a set of drums in the house my mother was always on the piano and sang in all these different languages and it was just wow. all bossa nova music and but it was just constant my mother had like billy joe jones that she was playing with and when she moved to new york because she was from ohio um charlie mingus and his wife let him let her live uh, with them for when she first moved in. And when you're in an element of an environment of music and rhythm and expression and joy, um, that I'm actually finding, like listening to Heather picking music is lifting me out of my funk from the pandemic. Because when you're having that constant greatness and constant jazz um, and just greatness that's going on that is stuff that, oh, I missed this piece. How did I miss this piece? And it was um, Bojangles' uh, celebration weekend, which they usually do the tap weekend, and um, you know Debbie Allen and, and Maurice, and which were both my uncle's students as, as well as Heather. But they were online and they're speaking, and, and like I was a little kid, I get to watch these guys, and you think this is why I did this, 
this is why, like I wanted to be a comedian because as a little kid, I watched Gregory Hines. And Gregory sang and danced, mm -hmm. played drums, and was the funniest guy I ever seen live, but could do all of it. And that's what I, that's where I always, so it's, it's, it's interesting that they're all connected and, it, and that's why I actually the idea of the of doing a show with like my favorite people because Masavia in all stages of art, you get it on all fronts, and then you. Well, I pretend to. Yeah. I, pre I pretend like <laughs> I know what I'm talking. I fake it like You're I'm. Always are there, and you know, and. Um, I pretend like I know what I'm talking. Like about. a therapist. Yeah, he is like a therapist. <laughs> um, and Mike is talking about what's going on in the industry with where they're where they're looking for projects and you know, I know so. comics that has sex in the Boston comedy club bathroom and I didn't say their names yet. You hear me? It wasn't me. I come from the very <laughs> proper. <laughs> was it good God. sex? Was it, was it good sex? I know was I it? stood, I, I heard it and I saw him come out of the bathroom. I ain't gonna say who it was. The but bathroom? You know, one oh, thing. those bathrooms were awful. Oh Classy. yeah. I know. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Only True your love. feet have to touch the floor, so you know. <laughs> I've seen and not even both of them have to touch the floor. So. <laughs> right. I've seen, I've seen it. The ba seen Boston it. Comedy Club bathroom was probably the worst bathroom that I have seen in all of New York. That was. Oh, that it was, was disgusting. It was disgusting. Wow. I mean, we'll find yeah. out as soon as that we is, turn off the camera. Cool. That is commitment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. That I really resonate. Lot, so. I really resonate with what you're saying about the um, music because that's exactly what I'm talking about about timing. In my mind, I'm a comedy junkie. I mean, I like I like stand up comedy in a dirty club like more than I like live music. And what you're saying is so true because I really do. I'm a junkie. I'm a comedy junkie, and it's real. Like a comedian is a musician, and their instrument is the laughter of the audience. And mm -hmm. so it's just really intense. The way you're saying, you know, everybody can do all of it. That's not true. Some of us are not musicians. I know for a fact, Michael, you can respect this. I am a crafted artist in a lot of ways, but I am not a musician at all. And people who are musicians, comedians are musicians by nature because they play an audience the same way somebody can sit down and play piano. And I've watched right. it a thousand times and it is fantastic. And what you're saying about dropping the throttle down and hitting it from all these different directions and, and the sound of it and the rhythm of it. I do not have that. I being funny and having that, or like Heather saying, like, oh yeah, I think I'll just tell a few jokes. That's so offensive to me um, <laughs> because comedy is way more sophisticated than that. It is its it, own yeah. it universal is. orbit of you know finding who's got the laugh and pulling it out of everybody. And that's the other thing I want to say to Michael is chase the laugh. You're saying you know Masami is asking like, where do we find the joke out of? this you know right where's the, right where's the punchline what's funny and you're like oh it can't be funny to me and then you list all the things that diminish you of how you couldn't be funny and i respect that because being funny is hard right now period i'm not the uh -huh. first person to say that or the first person to know it and being funny is in that space anyway go to the dark space poke around see what gets you yeah, smacked right. or what gets you laughter um, yeah, you know, no, you're that's, totally right. That's a rugged gangster. <laughs> you're totally right. No, you're, you're totally right. I think I think you're uh, I think you're right. I mean, it's it, it's definitely like you know. And first of all, I do think if you really wanted to, you could do stand up because it's just a muscle. I think if you if it's like if you're funny, you can. I mean, you can do it. I'm sure you can do it. I think it's 
I mean, you know, uh, it's like, because I've seen actress, people. I'm an actress. I am not a stand-up comic, but go ahead. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, if you said, like, you know what? I want to I wanna learn this. I want to learn it. Um, because you've seen, you know, it, it, I truly think it's it, like an instrument. You can learn to play it. It's a really good analogy. Um, and I, No, and it, I it is that. true. You, it is true. I, I could tell you one story before we, I know we got to wrap this up soon. But one story uh, years ago. I went to Maine to visit a friend and she knew I worked in the comedy business. And so she was like, can't you do some kind of comedy for our, our uh, town theater in Maine? And I was like, no, I don't do comedy. And so she was kept pressuring me. She was like, well, I mean, and, and so what I did was took some of my favorite comics, right. And, and the guys that I knew and I, and I said, okay, I'm going to take, a joke from each guy and try to uh, put them together just to do this, just to entertain. And I've never done anything. I never did comedy since, but only one, I used to do comedy with Dave when we were like 14 or 15, but I didn't do comedy after that. But this was the only time because she was pressuring me in such a way. And so I took some of my favorite comics and their one liners and created 45 minutes oh wow and and i actually bridged them all together and i took my time in saying them and it actually killed and it wasn't that and i was i had to calm myself but i realized how hard it really is but i followed the order and the and i waited for the laughter and the timing and it worked and so i was like wow but i still didn't have the desire to do comedy i know really it it wasn't a bug it like it didn't hit me to say maybe i should do stand-up again but it felt i I can understand how a comic could feel and when you have your timing and when you're on and the audience is in but it was a great experience though it was a great uh uh, a feeling but timing was so important yeah yeah just so important that was the, that's Everyone that's what i can remember from that story i think you need to do comedy and i've been trying to get heather to do some comedy so felicia you're no, you gonna get me to do it <laughs> no i, I think i'll just i'll just play tuba I think I'll take up tuba. I've always Play been tuba. curious. That's what I was. Yeah. That'd be easy, way easier than fucking making a whole room full of people laughing. No way. I'll just play tuba. Marching band. That's the else. Right. The biggest brass instrument that. you can get. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not doing that. All right. Let me ask you all, all you guys this in, clo- in closing. Once something uh, that uh, inspires you. You, uh, you can start, Felicia. Like, what's uh, what's your inspiration? And right now, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Right now, my inspiration today. I'm just gonna go with what got me through today. And today, my inspiration was in one of these little cornfield towns near where I live. There's a bunch of 15 year old white kids who put their hands behind their back and laid on a grass field for eight minutes and 48 seconds with their face in the grass. And they chanted that they, I cannot breathe. I can't breathe. Wow. And they chanted it. A bunch of really, really a very homogenized neighborhood around here. And it is actually the hometown of the child 
that shot all the people in the Oregon district in our in our in our party area in the in the town around in the in the city around here. Mm. And those wow, kids wow. were laying in the field with their hands behind their back for eight minutes and forty eight seconds. That made me say this morning, okay, you know what? I'm a grown woman and I'm an artist and I'm a person and I have a voice. And what am I gonna mm. do? Because that wow. is today's yeah. oh hell no. Wow. That's got me, wow. Got me up. Yeah, that's wow. That's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. Mike. That is really hard to follow. That is really a tough, that's a really tough, like, okay, now you go. Uh, no, you know what? Um, I think it's something actually um, Felicia said to me just a second ago, which is the, the, the biggest thing that drives me is to you know we've been talking about this whole conversation speak the truth uh and ideally through stand-up and i think that's something that I, you can't instantly do i've been uh like maya gone for a long time so my goal and my dream is to be like is to you know speak to things that are difficult to speak to and take courage and are scary and are well thought out and still funny and still work in a club setting and and you know really express something that's like my biggest driving force and i don't think it's going to be quick but uh that's sort of the goal you know well put sir maya what oh okay um (laughs) what keeps me inspired um my spirituality i think i i my 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 um my spiritual background that i you know try to get a little bit of daily focus of um, that I'm supposed to be doing something to um, give all the time in, in my art and in my work. And that it, sometimes, like the last few days, I was feeling a little uncomfortable. And I think that, you know, it's like, okay, today I'm not feeling as confident or whatever. Like, go back and really do your spiritual work and um, your, my meditations and prayers and, and remind myself that, you know, I'm, I have, uh, I'm being directed and that good is working out for me in spite of what I might see today because I'm actually taking action that I think um, is um, going to try to try to open minds on a, on a larger level. And that's kind of what I've been wanting to do. And now I think right now that that is needed more than ever. And I'm, I've been a little confused of exactly what the steps are and the next moves are, but I've been feeling really genuinely like taken care of, but you know, all the good that's going on um, that's been around me even through the, all the pandemic. And so some days I have to, tune myself back into it but that keeps me tuned in so i'll put my thank you and heather i almost thought maybe you forgot about it. i was like oh maybe he'll just skip over me no um <laughs> no you ain't get you ain't getting away because now i gotta follow all three <laughs> <laughs> um i mean if if i just look at i think i'm just gonna look at today also because i it was a really rough day for me personally with some things happening and I was feeling incredibly uninspired for a lot of the day. Um, and I, and I was, but I was looking forward to this and, um, listening, I think to everybody talk and be so open about where they're at right now and coming back into everything right now. And, and, which you, everyone is going through and experiencing and, and being on 
your paths and staying on them and being focused on them um, is is very inspiring to me. Like I feel very energized um, from and inspired just from listening to all of you talk um, to stay on my path of where I feel I can, you know, where I want to be able to contribute in this world with my art and and contribute in opening people's minds and helping people to see the other sides mm. of things they don't That's want to true. see the other sides too. So, but you all are so, you know, focused in, in on your paths and strong and confident in that. It's very inspiring. So. Wow. Thank you. Okay, That's Mustafa. awesome. Yeah, you're not well, off the hook. Yeah, you're not off the hook, Mo. Well, I'm going <laughs> to say the present today. Um, so I, I mean, uh, I'm going to say uh, it took me some time to get here, but I try to live by the present and something to what you said, Heather, which is I'm inspired by you guys um, in this conversation and this forum. I, I'm inspired now. I have energy. So I'm inspired by people's views and your views are amazing. All of you are different. And it makes me have something to look forward to. You know, that people think like this, that people have hearts like this, that uh, you want to change the world in different ways. You know, um, that's, that's my inspiration. So on that that's note, amazing. yeah. You know, on that note, we can wrap up. But I, I will say, like, all day, every time I hear from Masavia, I'm excited. I'm like, Masavia's going. Um, Mike, you just gave me so many great ideas today. Heather, like, two days ago, just changed that, like, shifting thought ideas when I'm not thinking outside the box. And, and Felicia, it's, you just are such a, like, such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm like, man, wish I got to hang with her. <laughs> you have, I'd love to come see your show. Um, yeah, and, me too. I, I hope that uh, you join us again. And uh, yeah, this was just really great. Thanks. Thank you guys. Felicia, for, thank um, you. It was awesome. Yeah, yes, awesome. Thank you so Everybody. much. And I hope we get to see your show. Yeah. If you're, That's you're we're all, all coming. We're going to find a place that when you, when you're here, wherever city. Yep. So, okay. Well, thanks everybody. And, um, and this is our, our second one. So yay, we got through yay. it, but what great energy, all of you. I'm sending you all yeah, hugs great. and, yeah. and, uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.